Hi, and thank you for joining us today on CIO Leadership Live. I am your host for the broadcast. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, <laughs> and I'm very delighted to be joined today by Ken Piddington, who is a longtime friend of CIO Magazine and CIO.com's and IDC's. And he is currently the VP and Chief Information Officer at U.S. Silica Company in Houston. Ken is an award-winning global business and technology leader with a history of successfully building and transforming technology strategy and operations at high-growth companies. He currently see, serves as CIO at U.S. Silica, which is a $1 billion-plus leader in industrial minerals and log logistics that deliver more than 1,500 diversified products around the world. Before he took on the role at U.S. Silica about six months ago, he held CIO positions in Houston on, at both SGR Energy and MRE Consulting. Ken and I first met when he was the CIO at Global Partners here in the Boston area, and that is a Fortune 500 logistics and energy products marketing company. Ken is widely respected in the Houston technology startup and VC community, where he's known for his innovative mindset and his passion for talent development. He also serves as one of our treasured advisory board members for IDC's CIO Executive Council. He's a mentor in the Pathways Leadership Development Program there. And he's also a respected thought leader and a published author. Ken has been a regular speaker at business and association conferences, including many of our own CIO events over the years. And he's a member of the Forbes Technology Council. On top of all that, he's very experienced at moderating panels with other CIOs on it, and he's taken to the stage at our conferences many times over the years. Ken, I really feel like you could be running this interview just <laughs> as well as I could. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Mary Fran. All right. Let's dive into... I mentioned that you're in your first six months. I'm always so happy when I catch a CIO in that that crucial first <laughs> year, the honeymoon period. Yes. And I'm grateful you could come on because sometimes CIOs just kind of stay under their desks and they don't do a lot of public speaking during that first time. But you're an experienced IT leader, so you're not you're not afraid to get out there and talk about what you're doing. I've certainly cut it down quite a bit, but saved my time for you. Oh, good. <laughs> well, let's talk about that first six months at U.S. Silica, and tell us more about that business and what kind of challenges you are tackling these days. Yeah, as I said, at the honeymoon period, so there's a lot going on in literally learning the organization. Um, and some of the things that I've had experiences in the oil and gas and downstream energy business has been able to be very transferable, but there's a lot of new and a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, we're um, into mining and logistics and processing. We're over 100 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and we really break our business down into two segments, one about oil and gas and the other about industrials. Um, and the oil and gas, it, you're really dealing with the ebbs and flows of a vol very volatile market. Um, and inside that oil and gas business, we're delivering frac sand. So as long as we're drilling and completing wells uh, and uh, in the shale basins in North America, we've got a lot of sand to sell. Uh, yeah. When when that goes down, you know we've got to manage manage through through those those lulls in the business, those ebbs and flows. The mm -hmm. other part of our oil and gas component is we're the logistics side. We do the last mile delivery of that sand through a division we have called Sandbox Logistics. I love the name. Yes, uh, and, yes, and I the know. Technology that goes to support that. Uh, on our industrial side, it's where majority of those 1500 plus products come into play and these are in building products and chemicals and filtration uh, I know a, a good glass of wine or, or a beer is well enjoyed and uh, we do a lot of the filtration for the, uh, in the manufacturing process of those different types of alcohols mm -hmm. um, complete with glass and roof coatings and uh, different things along those lines yeah uh, all fit into that area so again managing the ebbs and flows is a big challenge. Uh, today. So in those first six months, learning the business, meeting my team, figuring out the key initiatives that were going on, what we were doing really well, what we had opportunities for improvement on. And it's inevitable. There's always some project in there that's already underway that you're, you're asked to, uh, to help fix and, and, and keep moving along in the right way. And there's one of those uh, that I got to experience day one. Yeah. And that was around our sandbox logistics sign and putting out our new mobile application for our drivers. Uh, which we have about 800 plus and how do we manage now as a product mm -hmm. uh, and, and engaging in that way as opposed to thinking about just our 
our normal off-the-shelf software. So it's been really exciting. A lot of great people, great talented team at every level. Um, and it's been it's been a blast leveraging experiences and, and learning a lot new. Shouldn't you be saying it's been a sand blast? <laughs> it's been a sand At blast. This point, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. If you're just joining us on either Twitter or LinkedIn or YouTube, I'm here live with CIO Ken Pennington of U.S. Silica. And please send us in your questions. He is a very experienced CIO and will be happy to field any sort of questions that come up as you're listening to us today. Ken, I wanted to follow up a little bit about Sandbox Logistics because that's a new acquisition for U.S. Silica. And um, you referred to it as the FedEx for sand at the well site. And I love that. It gave me a way to grasp on to what the company is really all about. And then I also saw you shared a post on LinkedIn not long ago. And talk about that a little bit and how many tons of sand that involved. Yes. Um, So, so yes, got in the FedEx of... uh, of the sand logistics were involved in that last mile. So from the mm-hmm. distribution or manufacturing plant for the various frac sands and all the, the basins ar- around North America, we are delivering that sand to our customers. We've got some, some unique technology mm-hmm. uh, that has allowed us to, to do that more efficiently and effectively and safely uh, for, our, for our customers, um, really driving advantage and producing a lower cost for them. But uh, as we've we think about the FedEx side, we're delivering sand that U.S. Silica produces, which we like to have it be lots of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also sand that other companies are doing. We're just, again, providing the last mile logistics for, yeah. our, for our customers. Um, yeah, there was a LinkedIn post. Actually, there's a couple of them recently about mm-hmm. the volume of sand we were able to deliver in a 24-hour period and number of stages through the well completion process uh, that we were that was set records for, for us. We're able to do that. Um, most recently was a 24 hour period. I'm trying to remember the exact numbers, but it equated to about 105 or 106 trucks to one well site, which is about 46, 48,000 pounds of sand per truck in the box, uh, was, was quite impressive. And we were able to do that, uh, in one day safely, um, that we're preventing any non-productive time for our customers mm-hmm. and delivered a large volume, continually setting records each and every day. Most recent post was about it. What I believe was over the last forty-five days, mm-hmm. um, being able to exceed that uh, those those targets each and every month. Interesting. Well, I know you've been involved in a lot of energy companies over the course of your yes. career, and then you've also done consulting. You've been involved in consulting businesses, probably also with energy and oil and gas companies. Is this? And I think what struck me about our conversation on this was the sheer number of products that you're producing on one side of the company. And you say 1,500 different products, and then on the other side, on the oil and gas side, it's like about six big products. Correct. Uh, on the oil and gas side, it's really just different uh, grades of the same product, depending yeah. on which region we're we're in. And the other side, it's like I said, everything from filtration for beer and wine to Roof coatings and mm-hmm. uh, sand to manufacture glass uh, and sand for sand traps. One of my favorite things for for playing golf. So yes, <laughs> a little of everything. <laughs> well, does that does that pose any that that differentiation? The one side of the business being uh, very. I guess it's very high margin, and the other side being lower margin but very very high velocity. High volume. Mm-hmm. How how does that how does that affect the way you have IT organized to kind of deal with all that? Well, we've always had the, the, the two big components, but we've recently broken down in 2019 into four distinct business units inside mm-hmm. two in industrials, two in oil and gas. Okay. Um, IT is a shared service across all four. So the big challenge on that today is really how do we think about project prioritization? Where mm-hmm. are we Putting our, our efforts and, and the investment, does it belong in one group versus the other? Is it because someone's screaming louder? Is there a, a strong process of, of, of debate and mm-hmm. um, looking at the data related to it? I think we're continuing to evolve across all of that uh, to do a better job. And as we think about our IT or just sitting here as a, a group providing services across all four, there are unique and distinct um, needs within each one of those business units. And we have to think about how do we structure our services a little differently. How do we look at how our teams are engaged with each of them? How are they prioritized? And especially now that uh, I mentioned the mobile application with uh, mm-hmm. with Sandbox, we have product now. We're not just off the shelf software. 
We have things that are out there in the market, right. and that involves a different level of support and release management and and thought behind it and how we we get structured. So I'm trying to really push our IT team to not thinking of ourselves um, as traditional IT and think about ourselves from more product focused, both with what we have out in the out in the market as well as how do we align better to each of the individual business unit needs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's another interesting, I think, juggling act that so many CIOs are dealing with today, where you may have some specific areas of work that is focused on traditional project management. You know, everything still has to run flawlessly on the operations okay. side of it. But now you're also essentially bringing IT, uh, your IT staff, your direct reports along on a journey to start thinking like product managers. Yeah. yeah. And that, that, that working well part is, is critical. That foundation has to remain solid mm-hmm. no matter what. We can't do the product parts or any of the other uh, interesting initiatives, whether we're, we're talking about something within artificial intelligence and data analytics or robotic process. You know, pick pick your, your new emerging hot topic uh, <laughs> here. As you want to do any of those sexy things, you've got to have the solid foundation. So strive for solid foundation, very secure, um, and then you're able to move forward with good things. And thankfully, we've got a a good foundation. We're doing a lot of things on the security front, continue to evolve evolve that uh, this past six months um, Mm -hmm. and continue to strengthen the foundation because without that, the rest of it doesn't matter. You're not able to do it. (laughs) <laughs> True. You can talk all day about, you know, that <laughs> that wonderful, I always think of uh, IT systems as like a great big iceberg. And there's the yeah. there's the top of the iceberg where it's really lovely. It's snowy and there's penguins running around and everybody's admiring it and taking pictures of it. And then underneath the water, there's usually this huge lurking complexity that happens with technology over time. And I was assuming that because, because U.S. Silica is a 120-year-old company, that that you would have a whole lot of legacy to deal with, but mm-hmm. you surprised me on that one. Talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I surprised myself coming in on that one too. I expected <laughs> a bit of that. Yeah, uh, and really, it isn't. We, as a company, and, and kudos to the team and, and the thoughtfulness before it, and I'm getting to continue that on and add my own twist and spin to it. Um, we are very much in in the cloud. In that, 85 to 90 percent of our systems, uh, public private um, cloud. We have very little footprint in our own data center. um, And we believe in a cloud first strategy. So as we go down that road and continuing to evaluate new platforms, everything is looked at from a cloud perspective first. Yeah. Um, Again, ensuring it's going to meet our business requirements and our security requirements to to go out there and, Mm -hmm. and, and do what it needs to do to meet those, those needs and the the requirements from a, the number of people that have to be on that system. Um, and we've done that push. You know, we recently in 20 early, mid 2019, mm-hmm. moved our on-premise ERP platform um, and EDI platforms to the cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. We took them offsite and, and put them out there. And you know, not only did we do it from a cost benefit perspective, we, we did it from a disaster recovery and, and perspective. And one of the gains that was kind of icing on the cake, but maybe not as well thought that we were going to achieve was we actually got performance improvements. Uh, and that was a real big benefit as well. And that wasn't why we were doing it. It wasn't what we were counting on. Um, but we were actually able to perform better in our new environment mm-hmm. um, than we were on-prem. Yeah. Well, some of this too, I'm, I'm very tempted to send out some kudos to your to the previous CIO, who I know yes. you worked with during the transition. A lot of this kind of more forward-thinking approach to IT was going on even before you arrived. Correct. Correct. Yes, she had done a great job and everything that was going on here. Wonderful. Great to have her help me and part of that that transition. But that move to our ERP was already underway before I, I got here and I got to continue on, mm-hmm. as I said, add my own spin to things. That's wonderful. Well, we have our first question from our audience and okay. it's a pretty good one. So thanks for sending <laughs> this one in. Do you have any advice to help a CIO understand new business and how to formulate objectives to make a difference and add value? And sure. Uh, yeah, a, a couple very things. Good question. <laughs> Understanding your, your new business when you're, is, is get deeply involved with, with meeting everybody as quick as possible. And yeah. don't come in and with that just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Take mm-hmm. the time up front before you actually get here through the interview process uh, in those weeks or days leading up to your start. I, mm-hmm. I did something called the, a stakeholder power map and building oh. out who I needed to meet with 
who was most important when I needed to get to them um, and set my schedule and had a plan right from the start to meet with everybody and come in with a bunch of very pointed questions, not just how can IT, what can IT do for you? What did you like about IT? Mm -hmm. But talk to me about your business. Talk to me about what you do. How do you make our company's cash register work? How do you think I need to help make our company's cash register work and my team yes. in order to do that cost effectively and efficiently? Because um, just because we can make the door open and close and, and bring revenue, if we're not doing it efficiently, effectively, uh, we're not making the margins we'd, we'd like to do. So mm -hmm. that's a big part for me coming in is really taking the time to to plan out who I was meeting with and have a have a solid solid background yeah. there. The other part, as much research as you can do up front on your industry and reading all the things your own of course. company puts out, mm -hmm. um, and then get out there in the field, go see it. Um, yeah. It's been a, it's been a great experience getting to visit some of our different plants uh, and see it in action, and mm -hmm. you really get a good idea for what goes on. Um, when you get to do that. Mm -hmm. So don't don't sit in your office and expect it all to just magically happen. You've got to get out there in the field. In my, in my experience, almost nothing magical happens in people's offices. <laughs> it's almost always yeah. out when you're connecting with other people. I love the name of that, your stakeholder power map. I'm having a yeah. strong feeling that you should trademark that ASAP. <laughs> and Or maybe it's time we no. do, a, you know, do a webcast about that where we dive mm. in a little deeper. How did you formulate that stakeholder power map? Is that something you've done before? I have done it before. It's actually okay. you mentioned the, the work with the Council for uh, the Leadership Development. Oh, it's something great. I do. I actually have a session on developing stakeholder relationships. Excellent. And that power map is something I share a template for with my group's. Mm -hmm. for the, I remember how many years I've been doing this now. It's been a long time. Okay. So, well, yeah. now, I remember years ago we, when we were first writing about you in probably Computer World and CIO Magazine, you were always a go-to source for information about how to do a really good job managing your vendors. Yes. And you did things at Global Partners when you were with them that were a little extraordinary at the time. Like you would have an entire, an entire technology day where you got mm -hmm. all of the top executives of the company and everybody – it was like a big powwow and a almost like a job fair with yeah, all of our vendors. Yeah, our strategic partner summit. That's yeah, what that I'd was see. Our you big could, dinner for yeah. uh, about 150, 160 yes. people. Uh, yes. And uh, I have not re-implemented that exactly yet, um, but the foundation for the vendor program is being laid as we're continuing to evaluate the. The vendor community, our partners that we're working with here. Yeah. Um, again, I think it's probably one of the unique things, or one of the things I think everybody coming into their new CIO role has to think about. Mm -hmm. Just because I've done this here before and been successful here doesn't mean it perfectly translates for your new organization. And if you think that way, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. You've got to come in with a clean, kind of a clean slate, new mindset, leverage your experiences. Don't expect just because I did it this way here, I can do it the same way uh, mm -hmm. at the new organization. Culture is different. Your people are different. Right. Um, you've got to find what's going to be right for that organization. So as I've been knowing the importance and believe strongly in the importance of, of how you work with your vendor community uh, to to leverage them to get the, the right benefits for your organization. I always one of my statements in my program is I've been I've, I've created it because I was tired of the negative event-driven relationships yes. and I wanted them to be very positive so they weren't just trying to sell me that shiny box off the shelf we were looking how to create real value together yes. uh, for our organization so um, I've been laying the foundation getting ready for how we're going to put our new program together here at US Silicon. Mm -hmm. Well, and you have been uh, you have been in this business for a while now. Are you seeing a difference in when you're dealing with your vendor partners or perhaps just vendors that you hope will become partners? <laughs> are you seeing a different level of their engagement with you as the CIO? Um, is I, I know you've been spreading the gospel on this for many years, and I wonder, you know, do we have very many believers out there in the technology vendor community? Yeah. I do with those that have worked with me in the past. Uh, okay. They already know what to expect and they are excited. They need to get to, to know Ken. <laughs> that's right. Find that opportunity to, yeah. to work with us again. And those that have done the right things by in the past are certainly ones I'm going to call to mm -hmm. call first. Um, has it all trickled down throughout the masses of it? Mm -hmm. No. Um, the, the volume of those crazy emails and the magical, I know everything about your business. I'm going to solve it today. You've never yeah. met me. 
yeah. where you think we're just like somebody else without taking the time again to get to know us. Right. Um, yeah, it still happens quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> more I than remember, I can count. I know the um, frustration. I, I think I've heard this frustration expressed by many CIOs over the year where they'll they'll finally agree to a meeting and then someone will come to the meeting from one of the technology vendor companies and they'll sit down and be ready to interview them. Tell me all about your business. And there's just there's probably nothing that ticks off CIOs more than that because they're like, yeah. go do your homework, then come back to see me. Yeah. The one that upset me the most is I had a gentleman who came in, young guy with his mm. big whole big army of people came in and kept telling us that we were just like his other customer. We were just like his other customer. And I kept saying, you know, finally I said, you know, stop. <laughs> Tell me how you can help us and what about us? Because we are not like them. Yeah. Not like them at all. We get classified in the same industry, but we are totally different. I'd give anything to have his his budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are not. Yeah. Uh, they were a Fortune 25 company. Yes. And I said, we, we were not. We were Fortune 500, but we were not down that, uh, that right. number. And eventually it got tired of it. I had to throw them out. Oh, uh, that's so. too bad. That's too bad. You want to have happens. people that are that are a little quicker learners <laughs> working yes. on all this. If you are just joining us now, I'm in a, um, not surprisingly, a fascinating conversation with Ken Pittington, who is the VP and CIO of U.S. Silica. And we're about to start talking about changing customer expectations and how his IT group is handling that. In fact, it's a group now that has, they have a product on the App Store. So if you're just joining us and you want to send in a question to Ken. We are monitoring all of our live feeds on LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube on the IDG Tech Talk channel. Okay, let me jump next, Ken, to that that changing customer expectation. I, I know you're not a retailer, you're not a restaurateur, you know, you're not, your people are probably not on a daily basis getting face-to-face with customers, but how do you, how do you track what the customer expectations are and how they're changing. And is that something that is very, is in your top three priorities to address as CIO, or do you have other more important things to think about at this point? Uh, it's in my top five, absolutely, okay. if not three, mm-hmm. uh, of things to to address. Um, to me, you know, you've got to continually, even though we have said we're not in, in that, that retail, you're not going into our, our shop and browsing the shelves to pick a product out. Um, and we're not, you're not coming to sit down in our restaurant. So you start to think about that it's not the same from a customer perspective. But I truly believe we have an opportunity to leverage technology to create value-added services mm-hmm. and visibility into what we're doing for our customer to make us easier to do business with. Um, in the oil and gas space specifically, you know, we can argue either way whether the sand has become a commodity. Um, but if it has then what else can you do to to differentiate yourselves to make say mm-hmm. that our customer wants to buy sand from us as opposed to to our competitor um so the more we can do to help the customer better understand what we're doing for them how we're delivering that product understanding the inventories um visibility into contractual obligations other other services maybe we're better integrated into their back-end systems to reduce their their cost of doing business with them these are the mm-hmm. things that that I believe is an, is an opportunity for us to do. Then you take what we're doing on the product side specific to, to Sandbox with our drivers, um, and maybe we start to look at different IoT aspects of it and say, where is my box of sand? Where is my truck? And yeah. being able, just like you can do with your Uber driver. I know when my Uber driver is going to be pulling around the corner and up in front of our house, mm-hmm. why can't I know exactly when my, my truck of sand is uh, going to arrive. Yes. Well, and that totally makes sense because you could see how customers might think, well, sand is sand after all. <laughs> and there may be different qualities of the sand for various things, but it's really about how they're dealing with U.S. Silica as a company and, you know, whether whether you're making customers happy the way you wish mm-hmm. all your vendors would make you happy. Yeah. Right. So there's an opportunity for my team is really to, to again, get, get out of the office and get to where we're not there in a store. Um, you can go to a number of our plants where we've got trucks coming through on the oil and gas side and picking up product uh, and get a chance to, to, to talk to them. It was, again, mm-hmm. working with our business development and sales teams who are deeply engaged, obviously, with our customer base. And let's go chat with them and learn more. Let's go on a sales call. Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned that I've had a lot to do in the energy and oil and gas space over my career. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of our customers are different segments of our customers uh, already. So yeah. that, that ability for me to get to know our customer better, um, particularly taking a different spin and come in from the technology side and 
kind of partner with them is the idea how can we work better together mm-hmm. to help your different operations groups who buy from us and us be, be your preferred partner. Yeah. Well, and that must be that must feel quite different to the customers as well, having the conversation with the top technologist and, and rather than the top salesperson. Yeah. And and I'm no, sure like that it. salesperson is a great person and all that, but he's got a different mindset. Yeah, I think that's the opportunity for us is to really leverage leverage those relationships, leverage the fact that we can get out in front and, and go and be part of and help change the conversation, get my team out of their comfort zone uh-huh. and, and get them out there uh, with them to help help leverage what we can do. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Well, people just love to get out of their comfort zones, don't they? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we've got to focus How on you, all that change. And that's, I know, uh, that's I know. I'm still, I've been a fan for so, probably decades now of that Dilbert cartoon that says, <laughs> you know, change is good, you go first. Yes. Um, so, well, let me, I want to circle around next and talk about... Um, data analytics. and mm-hmm. But before that, I've got questions kind of related to that. And it's asking about what are the most important metrics to measure as a CIO? Kind of the, the way data analytics about how CIOs are doing their jobs are starting to change in terms of what you talk about to the business. Uh, tell mm-hmm. me what you think about that. Well, I had an answer. Yeah, I always say, I mean, the, the metrics needed are going to be different from company to company about mm-hmm. what's important to, to you. Um, so, for us, you know, how much how much sand is flowing flowing out from a product perspective. Mm-hmm. But again, it's going to be different from from business unit to business unit and how we how we talk about that. So how do we equate IT investment to the per unit cost of putting product out? Um, how do we look at um, the 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 metrics from what we're doing related to our contribution margin or how we how we impact our EBITDA numbers? Really very financially driven, um, but also there on uh, like I said. The per unit, the volume going through through the through the door of, of our products are important metrics to to measure for success. Mm-hmm. Um, we measure things. Well, coming in, we measured things like my availability of systems and, and infrastructure, which is very right. poor way to do. But it's not a measurement that I want to distribute to the rest of the organization. Right. I want are, to take those metrics yeah. and say, what do they mean because we did them? Or what yeah. did it mean if we didn't meet them yeah. um, to our to our business? Back to my statement earlier about the cash register. That's yeah. what's most important to me, and the type of metrics I want to me- I want to look to of course. Uh, for our group. Well, I remember the all the talk over the years, and <laughs> we're probably going back to the '90s and the early 2000s at this point, where um, IT was always IT leaders were always getting slammed by business people for sharing metrics that the business couldn't even pretend to care about. Great. You've got 99.5% uptime. (laughs) I want to talk about those two times that the network wasn't up. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I also look at it today and how we communicate what we're doing from a technology perspective um, can impact our other external shareholders and how they'll look at a company uh, from that perspective. Do they believe that technology is doing the right thing? It's not just about maintaining compliance. Uh, and, and availability. It's what else are you doing that differentiates your company, uh, our product out in, in the market? Are we doing mm-hmm. the right things from a cybersecurity perspective? We um, we do some cybersecurity training uh, uh, and we have awareness videos and there's a, a survey that comes at the end besides if you, you've paid attention and clicked mm-hmm. the right box and answered the question properly about what's the right thing or the wrong thing to do. Yes. But we've asked about behavior and I'm one of the things I've been most proud mm-hmm. about from our security team in just the six months I've been here is we've really helped, in my opinion, change the behavior of our employees, making us safer. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I mentioned safety a couple of times. I mentioned it in how we deliver the sand. One of our core values is safety. And we are very, very uh, focused on safety as a company. We had some of our best safety numbers in the history of the company this mm-hmm. past year. Um, so I've right. taken the IT side of it and talk about digital safety and how do I tie that in. And we've, we've changed behaviors. We've got Survey results that excess of 70% of our employees saying we've done something because of how we've been trained and learned here on the job that impacts our day-to-day uh, to be safer from a cybersecurity perspective. And that's that's been a proud number for me and my team to say it wasn't just about delivering a project. We, we actually changed behaviors. That's great. And that has to be something that the CEO and the board take note of as well mm-hmm. because it's a, Absolutely. a big concern. And we have a uh, an incredibly apt question to go with that. One of, the, <laughs> one of our audience members who are listening asked if there were any professional certifications that you look for or value more in your cybersecurity personnel. 
Wow. So um, one versus the other, I'd say I'd have to ask my security director, which ones he he appreciates more uh, for the rest of his team. I mean, I want you to do all the the, the right things that we have. I'm really actually been more interested in finding some cybersecurity folks that can communicate with the rest of the organization and can understand the business value of security yes. uh, as opposed to just the technical side. So I apologize. I can't answer all the right, say all the right letters yeah. that, that go after that for the certification. <laughs> I may have to go put pause on that one and ask my security director. I hit, apologize. Hit pause. Well, it's funny because I was um, uh, interviewing a CIO uh, last time I had a, a, a CIO from a, um, a college out in on the West Coast and he had a whole list of security qualifications and I was going to name them all off when I was introducing him <laughs> and he said oh no, no wait I need to renew that certification so don't mention that one you know because uh, the security people are very strict about that sort of thing um, but we have another let me see I've got another follow-up question and this is from one of our regular fans on LinkedIn so hello Richard good to hear from you again. Um, Richard Cope would like to know, how do you approach running IT like a startup when you may have significant amount of legacy baggage to unpack and you don't have that problem at US Silica now, but do you have advice, do you have advice for um, other CIOs that don't have that wonderful position of not a huge <clears throat> amount of the iceberg under the water? <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, and even if you have the legacy, I still think there's a there's an opportunity to, to, to think more like a startup as you look at different technologies and try to find ways to move things a whole lot faster and recognizing that everything isn't that big old legacy ERP system implementation that we have 18 mm-hmm. months, two years or longer that's going on. We've got to be able to be much more nimble. Um, so I think the, the opportunity is figuring out what your team looks like, where uh, do you have the right skills to do that? They just need a different focus on their leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, where do they not and how do you develop them? And then where do you need to go outside and either hire new uh, to, to, to add to that team or bre- leverage some of your partners differently? But it's just thinking differently and how do we move faster to me? I think mm-hmm. um, I believe the, the concept of being able to have IT go at the speed of business uh, and whatever that means for your organization is what you need to think about. I actually have four different business units and they're all moving a little bit different pace right. and how do we make sure that we we focus on on each of them um if you don't have all the legacy even if you do i think leveraging the cloud more is really really important in giving you some of that that speed and flexibility mm-hmm. i also think you need to look outside of the traditional partners that are companies that you might do business with I mean, uh, we've all got the yeah. big players um, they all serve a role, but if you really want to start, <clears throat> excuse me, acting more like that startup and find ways to be a little bit more nimble, a little bit flexible, more flexible, you've got to go and and get creative and look outside what you've always known, mm-hmm. outside that comfort zone again, yes. uh, and, and go see some of these other companies. Of, and don't just say, I only do companies who make a certain amount of revenue. Well, it takes something to get in there. You might find that that diamond in the rough that you can mold and help fix to what you need um, with low risk uh, to, to doing that. So you kind of mm-hmm. have a plan for how do you evaluate these emerging tech companies? How would you implement them? How do you work with your team? How do you continue to develop your team to, to shift gears to, uh, to, to move at the right speed that your organization. Yeah. Well, and then following up on that last question, we have an, another one of our regulars, Isaac Sakalik. He sends in a question, <laughs> building on Richard's question, uh, where are you trying to model startup practices and where do you have to operate in more of an enterprise fashion? How am I trying to model? So, so I'm going to mention Agile, 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 because I know Isaac oh, okay. is a big Agile guy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't. We I think as you think about those methodologies that might get get applied or modeled into there, we, we talk about Agile. We want to talk about DevOps, and yes. I believe a big part is data ops that has to go along with it. Um, <laughs> none of them work perfectly, for, in in my my opinion, for every single organization. Just to get take it out of the box and. I'll just plug it in here and it's all going to magically work. Right. Um, every organization's culture is different and we need to look at that based on your experiences and what you need, apply the right parts, um, and then continue to go back and learn from the, the, your experiences, the lessons learned, and continually tweak to make it fit for your organization. Yeah. We are very much try to be, um, we're, we're probably the closest to getting towards a, a traditional agile or more pure agile methodology of how we approach things within our sandbox group because it's a it's a newer company as a whole it was was already in the cloud yeah Yeah, Yeah. all that there i mean there's 
I never had a data center as an example. There you go. It's <laughs> a lot easier to be agile thing. if you don't have a data center. Um, and the, and the yeah. mindset's there where, mm-hmm. where I think a lot of our others are a little bit more hybrid. Um, whether we want to call it mm-hmm. agile fall or water, water, Jill, which you want to mm-hmm. add different naming things to it. So I'm literally trying to model that, but to me, I'd like to have more one structure uh, and the organization can move at that speed together. Okay. Um, but that's really where I've been. been okay. Looking at. Well, and the, uh, this is a hot topic right now on our forums <laughs> because there's a follow-up to that about, you know, saying that organizations have been moving to the cloud for more than a decade and even moving to hybrid cloud. Uh, what are your thoughts on the latest in the areas of multi-cloud adoption? I when I when I hear multi-cloud adoption, I immediately think of like, oh yay, more complexity. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there is, but I yeah. think you've had it for a long time. I challenge anybody to to take a good look and say they weren't actually multi-cloud to begin with. And to so let's with. figure That's out what multi-cloud point. means. Yeah. Um, we most from the first initial definition means means I've got something in Azure and I've got something in AWS and that's to me that's multi that's their first definition of multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you may have that. You might have your own private uh, cloud and think about all your SaaS applications that are in all over the place. That's cloud too. So um, we've got SaaS applications. We have infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, uh, and you got some of your own private stuff. And we have that. We have all of it yep. uh, today <laughs> in our organization. So it does add complexity in, in a lot of ways, especially if you have to start to integrate. Um, and also, as you think about your security, especially on the public side, mm-hmm. what you can get in AWS, what you can get in Azure, what you can get in, uh, in Google Cloud are not all the same. Mm-hmm. They're not all going to function the same. And then you bring in some other partners, cloud environment as as well. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So you've got security concerns across and You may not be able to do the exact same thing with the same tools across the board. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you've got multiple different contract vendors, vendor contracts to manage uh, around that. Do you want to try and streamline those terms of agreements and make mm-hmm. sure, or actually sure, consolidate those and best you are managing one one way and one another way. So I think back to vendor management, yeah. how do you standardize what you want to do and bring that to your partners as opposed to what they're just coming with off the shelf, or at least have an idea mm-hmm. so you know how to negotiate and manage that. But the other part is really thinking about how do I integrate and how do I work if I've got system A in one environment and system B in another environment, data's got to come together and I've got to manage manage those environments. That mobile application and stuff we do on our um, trucking dispatch actually lives in multiple places. Um, part of it in, in, in a Microsoft Azure cloud, part of it in Oracle's uh, OCI environment. So I've got things in two different places that we have to bring together. Makes it really challenging for testing uh, and test data management and bringing, keeping that in in sync. Again, part of that goes back to my statement about data ops and how we manage our data Mm -hmm. uh, in order to streamline that process. And that's, again, something we're starting to uh, get serious about. Yes. Well, the... um, One of the things that you and I talked about was under that... the, the kind of rubric of how the technology operation is currently structured to deliver more business value. And you were, you know, you're saying that already you have a very committed team. Everything was running mm-hmm. really smoothly when you got here. Very few outages, no major downtimes, uh, and that you exceeded even those targets in 2019. But there was something you discovered that everybody wasn't good at. And? Remind me. No. And I'll <laughs> remind you that it was... Um, around thinking like a product management team like instead a product of project management, yeah. manager. So talk about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're very good on all the, the availability. We've done a good job there, um, you know, through through process and tools. And some, there's always some, some duct tape uh, to go along with it to keep things uh, moving as, as best they can. Um, but we were very good at, at off-the-shelf software. We were mm-hmm. really good at unwrapping the shrink wrap, putting that in place, configuring that to meet our business needs and, and keeping that uh, that that moving and moving well and meeting the demands of our organization. Now, fast forward into what we're doing today with the mobile application, yeah. um, some web applications that we've developed. Now we're, pro- we're we've got product, both, as you said, in the app store mm-hmm. and some that is purely internal. Um, but that kind of release cycle that has to go on in there, that kind of mentality of having a product that not all just people inside your four walls are using, mm-hmm. how do you continue to maintain and support that and think differently about it? It's even its product roadmap yeah. and what goes on. It's not a long about managing from statement of work to statement of work. We've got to think really about product strategy, product roadmap, and, and how do we 
make sure our teams are thinking that way and working in that environment, not just I unwrap the piece of software, we installed it, right. we, we, we maintain it, we apply the patches and we're good. Yeah. Um, it's a very different world. Well, and you mentioned when we talked that you actually had another major release that went out, I believe, yesterday on March 1st. Yes, we are live today You're with live the new today. release of the mobile app and uh, yeah. and the, uh, the, 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 plat- the the web app platform as well. Mm-hmm. How did that go? Was everybody as exhausted um, and stressed well, as the last on, release? <laughs> knock on wood, everything has gone very smoothly. It was a lot of great effort from the team to make that, make that happen, um, but... Uh, you know, coming mm-hmm. into here for our, our great talk today, uh, I have not seen or heard anything uh, negative mm-hmm. about, about the release. So, no news uh, is good news. No yeah. news is good news <laughs> on that. I will certainly be checking when we're finished here, but yes. uh, everything has been smooth so far. Well, good. Well, I'm grateful that you're not checking while we're in motion here, <laughs> live recording. I've got another question from our very attentive audience here. They'd like to know how you organize your team to drive digital innovation at the same time when you've got to ra- run and maintain that day-to-day operation and deliver all those tons of sand and make sure the data analytics are getting in the right places and all that. So uh, that's an and that's a, a, a great area to just get into because you've had a lot of experience over your career driving new areas of innovation. So how are you doing that at U.S. Silica, and what are what is some of your advice overall for CIOs in that area? Yeah, I've seen some groups who have said that innovation happens over here, and it's one little silo, and everything else happens over here, and that's not yeah. the way I, I do it. I'm very much, my team will tell you, I've been preaching the anti-silo uh, concept, and we are one IT team across mm-hmm. everything that we do and how we function. Um, and so, to me, it is about one one IT team and how we understand what goes on at the foundation, making sure our foundational services, keeping everything working are moving smoothly so and, and, and as automated as possible so that we can move on uh, to as a team to focus more on what's next and how do we grow that organization. And I, you know, we didn't, you didn't, you said digital innovation, which is great. I'm glad you didn't say digital transformation. Uh, oh, I think <laughs> we're all tired of that term, aren't we? <laughs> you know, it's really about how do we continue to transform the business yeah. of what we're doing and leveraging technology to do that, leveraging these tech, these digital tools and platforms. So for me, it's about one, one team. It's not that innovation comes from any one separate segment. It needs to come and be encouraged from all. Um, one of the things we've talked about, I have not implemented it here yet, uh, but I have done it in the past and we're, we're talking about it here is my concept of our, no pun intended, our innovation sandbox, um, and an opportunity. (laughs) You do love that name sandbox. Yes, I really do. Uh, Mm -hmm. is is a place where the team can, can experiment, give them the opportunities Mm -hmm. where they can bring some business cases to me of like, I want to invest in, in X because I think there's going to be value here for our company. And this is why I see the value and see if they can convince me, sell me on that idea to help, help make sure that that can go ahead and happen, Mm -hmm. that they have the opportunity to play in the sandbox. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of sandboxes, you're actually in a pretty good spot in your, your newly adopted hometown of Houston. (laughs) I know from talking with some of your colleagues at, you know, healthcare IT and in the university crowd, you've got an innovation hub happening at, in Houston. And I keep seeing your name popping up where you're moderating a panel at this or that innovation (laughs) activity area. Talk a little bit about what's going on in Houston with innovation. In, uh, in the greater IT community? There's a lot going on here, particularly around that as we think about these newer companies and trying to foster innovation at the from the, the higher ed perspective and them creating environments for organizations to come together um, with those the, the startup community and higher ed uh, to, to, to create opportunities of these. And there are multiple mm-hmm. of them going on. The one you're speaking of specifically, new is tied in with with rice university and it's a, yeah. this old sears building downtown that's being remodeled and and refitted to to create this innovative and there's a couple of universities that are involved and it's designed for companies to come and bring their people there and bring challenges to the companies or to the students that are there and, and look to try to find unique and creative ways to solve that and there's other places here as well um that are going on in a similar way and there's one called the cannons one i actually got to uh to speak at the other day and moderated a panel with the gentleman who, who runs this community for for startups and for big corporations to come in and, and work together 
Um, another gentleman who's on that panel spoke solely around what they do for the industrials in the oil and gas energy mm -hmm. space around technology, both operational and IT. And one was just about healthcare. Um, so it was really exciting to you know, to see it and hear what was going on and the yeah. investments they were making and a lot of the, the Shark Tank-like uh, programs that were, were, were starting to happen where people were looking to find and do some creative ways to find the right solution and help fund these uh, these startups. So it's, it's becoming a little bit, we're not Silicon Valley, we're not Boston, we're not Austin yet in that area, but mm -hmm. I think we're certainly up and coming and there's enough diverse industry. We're not just about oil and gas in Houston. There's a lot of healthcare. Yes. There is now a lot of technology. There's a lot of financial services. We still you know, bleed, bleed black gold from the oil side as we always have, right, right. but, but, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I think that's helping drive, um, some of this interesting opportunities, yeah. uh, from the technology. And I think it's also, there's a number of my other CIO peers here around town who were very involved in either within solely within their company or in a community, mm -hmm. uh, aspect here in Houston to get more involved with these different startups, either yeah. to, to help provide guidance and advisory or to find ways that they can, evaluate these these companies not just doing it on their own but mm -hmm. in groups and find ways to to bring more of that innovation to the table well and that's a uh, i was just in salt lake city um in the last few days i was giving a talk at, at a cio summit conference out there and i heard all about silicon slope is what they call it out in the salt lake city area and they were describing one of those kind of annual innovation get-togethers that started just maybe five years ago and it had 50 people there mm -hmm. and they just had their last one and there were over 500 so it's very it's fascinating to see how those those innovation incubation kind of communities yeah. are growing up and it's i it's so important that cios be involved in it uh, one of the speakers who was talking about it asked for a show of hands who had gone to it and it was probably only about maybe 10 percent of the room because of mm -hmm. course everybody else was doing their day jobs and they didn't get to go to it and he yeah. was scolding them all and saying you need to get out there and you need to see what's going on you've always made a real point of doing that well, yeah. I, I have i, I believe mm -hmm. I believe it's important in, in staying for not just for me, but for my team to stay educated on what's out there. The pace yeah. of change and technology is too quick for us to sit back in our office and think we're, we, we just mm -hmm. oh, it's the ERP system. We know what's there. Even those are changing <laughs> so, so quickly. Yeah. Um, and what your, your organization needs isn't just going to come from the same companies you've always dealt with. You've got to get out there. You've got to experiment. You've got to stay in tune to it because I don't want my CEO coming to me and saying, hey, did you hear about this company and this company and this company? And they already want to go down a path. I want to be and I want mm -hmm. my team to be out on the forefront of that and bringing these ideas to the table Excellent. and being able to partner with the others in our organization, not being an afterthought. Yes. And that I, means we've got to get out there and stay stay educated. Yes. Stay I informed. Think that's a great point. We have a question now from one of our YouTube viewers. And this mm -hmm. is about when you're running your IT as a startup, are you an earlier adopter of technology trends or do you prefer to adapt? And how has either helped you deliver value to the organization? Uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm a fast follower. I'm not always first, <laughs> uh, but like definitely most a CIOs, fast follower. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But not, not waiting till it's, you know, we, we always think about the hype cycle. I'm not on that down and, and flattened out spot. I'm definitely still in the ride yep. towards, towards the top. I probably won't be the very first, um, mm -hmm. but I'll certainly be pretty, pretty early on. And, uh, I want to often leverage the experiences, both good and bad from my peers. I'm very, mm -hmm love to be connected with my CIO community and find out what's worked and what hasn't worked um, and share my own experiences in, in trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but I do think you have to, to have an idea of where you're going, where you want it to go. Mm -hmm. So you can start to see, kind of have that vision out of where those pieces all plug in. Mm -hmm. um, so you understand what you're doing. So you're not wasting your time in the wrong areas and you're focused in the right areas. Yeah. kind of goes back to one of your original questions about as a new, I think you asked about a new CIO and understanding how to get involved, engaged in one of the things I forgot to say there, and it relates to this as well. Okay. And it's really being able to decode your corporate strategy, understanding uh -huh. what those initiatives are, um, are going to help make sure you're focused on the right things here and also going to help you if you were new mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to uh, figure out how to, how to better understand your organization. 
Yeah. Well, and that's a great point. Good. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad it floated back up in your head because <laughs> it, it's a really great one. Um, is there also, from a CIO point of view, how is the balance changing that dividing line between outsourcing and insourcing? It's it's <laughs> like it's such a it's such a pendulum swing. I've watched it over the last few decades, from Computer World through CIO Magazine. Um, for a while, everybody's doing everything at SaaS, and and then you know on the media side, we start start assuming that, well, everybody's outsourcing their IT and working with all these SaaS providers. And then just last week, I interviewed a CIO from a defense and aerospace company, and <clears throat> he described himself as cloud averse. And I never, I, and at first I thought I had misheard. I said, mm -hmm. you don't mean cloud first. And he was like, no, no, I mean cloud averse. So mm -hmm. I, what do you think is the right balance? Where's the dividing line between? Well, it's, it's always different for every organization has been for me. I don't even use those, for, those terms here. Uh, anymore. Uh, ah, okay. I, I don't think I've ever, other than maybe I've used outsourcing in somewhat of a negative, <laughs> negative connotation yeah. to it. To me, it's about leveraging our partners um, in the to right size what we do as an organization. Um, and sometimes that means being able to, I, I believe being able to turn the dial up and down mm -hmm. on on what we need based on the needs at that that moment. I was actually in a renewal conversation with a, a great partner of ours and talking about I need us to adjust to the ebbs and flows of our business. And I said, I literally mm -hmm. want to dial on how I dial up and dial down <laughs> your services, not figuring it out as we get there. I want to plan this now. Um, so yes. that, that mix to us, some will say it's 50, some it's, it's 90, 10. There's no right number for, for any organization. It depends on your team. It depends on your culture. It depends on your partners and, and what mm -hmm. you need. I'm really focused on what do we need to do to keep our business moving, uh, at the right pace. What's there has to be in the foundation yeah. solid. What do we need to do? Where does it make more sense? Cause it's more commodity type, mm -hmm. but I can, I can put that off to a partner who can do it better, faster, cheaper than, than we can at the same or higher level of service. Yeah. Um, and then really take the items that are differentiating and create us more of that competitive uh, advantage and, and, and hold on to those and own those more mm -hmm. internally. Well, I heard one uh, CIO I was speaking with recently described it as the, the big difference between doing agile as, as a technology approach and being agile. As an IT group and as a company, and I thought it was a great way to put it. You know, you change just a that few is. few letters in that word. You go from <laughs> doing agile to being agile. And when you talk about being agile, that's actually something that you don't have to break down and explain any terminology to business people. I, Not the terminology, yeah. but sometimes the, the, the actual steps and, and, and requirements uh, uh, and Mm -hmm. And their role and responsibility in making it work across. Because I, Agile, in any way, is not an IT thing. It is a company That's right. thing. Yeah. Uh, and we can't have part of the company mowing at one pace in one way and another part trying to do something differently. So we've got to all be on Good on the same boat, going in the same speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we had one uh, very specific short question about whether you, you use robotics Robotic process automation. Are you doing any ah, any experimenting I, with RPA, or do you yes. already have it? Because every CIO, I, every CIO <laughs> I know is doing automation all over the place, but RPA mm -hmm. is kind of our, our one of the newer, hotter types. One of my new favorite three-letter acronyms, yes. Is it really? Uh, okay. It, it is. Mm -hmm. So it is something I believe um, for us is uh, a technology that we need to put in our toolkit. Um, I'm looking at it closely. We've been evaluating it from a couple of different uh, providers to solve hopefully a, a number of different uh, opportunities that, that we have internally. Mm -hmm. We are starting a, a POC around that for one particular group here uh, later this month. Okay. Well, we have an excellent follow-up to that question, too, about how you develop a learning organization, given that you're running several systems within the company. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. um, one of the ways of doing it is, is, is planning your, your, your people's time to give them the opportunity uh, to spend time learning. Um, if we mm -hmm. think about solely of what do I need for my time for all of our people to keep the lights on and do these projects that help either help grow or transform the business, and we forget about the people side and how do we develop them to have the, the time and the mindset to go out and experiment and, mm -hmm. and learn some things, you'll, you'll 
fail because there's only so many hours in a day. Um, and if all we've done is plan for what we need to do to, to keep the lights on and, and run those projects, we didn't give them any f availability to, to do that. So yeah. I, when I look through a resource planning, there is absolutely a time for development for every single person, whether you're on my leadership team, right on to the person who, who's a tier one technician on our support desk. Mm -hmm. um, part of that for me, especially my leadership, is to, to kick them a little bit and say, get out of the office and, and go to one of the events that's here uh, around town or, or, yep. or one of the other national events and go spend some time there. But I also like to do it very focused. I want them with an agenda for themselves of what they want to learn, what they're trying to get out of it, who they're trying to meet. Is there a company that's going to be sponsoring that's we think would be valuable to get to know mm -hmm. and have a have a purpose? Don't just go to say I'm going there to network and then you know right. sit at your table and put play with your phone the whole time. So there's there's <laughs> it has to be purposeful uh, in how yeah. you get out and go about that. I also do. Um, I've been joked about I've done it for years and I've, I've started again here about my book club and I, I oh, give books great. to my team. Yep. Um, they they're designed even both to the, the entire IT department as well as another set that I do just with my leadership team. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all books that I've read and have had some impact on my my career and my, my thought process. And they're designed to help us learn and designed to help us knock down those silos and become one IT team. Yes. So that's part of that learning culture that you need to create. Tell me about a uh, little bit about a few of your recent favorite books on your list, something that has made an impression. Well, one of the books that I have everybody, the first book I have everyone here is called The QBQ. It's the question behind the question. Oh, it's about great. personal responsibility and accountability. One of my mm -hmm. all-time favorites. Short, easy read, um, but it's great coming into an R&B and helping set the expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, myself and my leadership team are reading a book called uh, You Can't Know It All. Uh, we're reading it together, and mm -hmm. uh, we actually have our first meeting to discuss the first few chapters uh, this Wednesday uh, of, wow. of that book. But it's about the concept of where we grew up, particularly in IT, as expert leaders. We're yeah. very focused in our domain of, 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 area with, of, of operations, whether it's infrastructure, applications, or security. We know that. We're really deep there. But as you move and, and progress through your organization to become a greater leader, it's not just about being a leader of your domain, mm -hmm. it's being a part of the leader of that whole team and in, in the organization. And how do you become what they, in the book refers to as being a spanning leader? And how do you, where you don't know all the details in this other particular, but you've got to be able to lead people in that area and talk to them and show the, understand the importance of it. How mm -hmm. do you grow yourself and expand? And it's really quite it's interesting. And I'm excited to see the, uh, the feedback and how my team takes that book and is able to apply some of the learnings there to help us continue to grow as a as a as a group and as yeah. and as a company. Well, that's wonderful. And I have a book I've been recommending to all of my CIO friends. And it was uh, last summer at our Boston event. Um, the author came and talked about it. He is Hal Gregerson at MIT, and his mm -hmm. book is called Questions Are the Answer. And it's not written for technology people at all. It's basically mm -hmm. about, and he has a question burst method in there where he explains like you're sitting down and someone is telling you about a problem. And instead of, it's a human tendency to say, oh, well, why don't you try this, this, and this? And you start trying to give them the solution. But the <laughs> only response you're allowed to make is to continue to ask them questions. And yes. he's got all kinds of great stories in the book. You know, he's interviewed people like Mark Benioff from Salesforce mm -hmm. and all sorts of brilliant people. And he talks about how so many great ideas start with a question. Uh, and it can be a question like, why is enterprise software so damn expensive and hard <laughs> to deal with? And then how that eventually led to the, you know, to the multi-billion dollar Salesforce.com today. So I've been finding that really interesting. Very good. Well, that book is on my bookshelf at home. I have not read it yet, oh. but I do have it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've actually got it on my Kindle and I take it out mm -hmm. every now and then because I've been talking about it a lot with uh, my CIO friends. The uh, And I think we are just about at our, at, at time on our conversation today. All right. Didn't I tell you this well, hour would just fly it by? It goes very quickly. It was fantastic. Thank yes. you. Do you have any parting words of encouragement or leadership that you would like to put out there, not just to like CIOs who are as experienced and knowledgeable as you, but to some of the our younger colleagues or our, our next generation CIOs who are coming into these very multivariate jobs now that the whole chief mm -hmm. information officer title now encompasses, you know, if you were a CIO starting out in your late 30s, early 40s, what would you? What advice would you give these these next generation CIOs? 
Well, I think um, we, we said part of it earlier about stepping out of your comfort zone. I really do believe that the opportunity to add value in your organization goes beyond what we think about as the traditional CIO role. Mm-hmm. Um, that whether And whether we change the title and make it chief digital officer, technology officer, innovation, or combine any combination of all those one, wonderful letters, um, ability to step out of your comfort zone and realize that the opportunity here, uh, if we think about traditional work being inside the firewall, now it's about being and operating outside the firewall. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we can leverage technology to drive unique value for our organizations. And yeah. I think those IT, whether you're new or well-established, who are ready to take that step to the other side of the firewall, out of their comfort zone, mm-hmm. um, is where you're going to create the most value for your company. So think and be like a business technology leader, not the the, the IT guy, um, and is really going to make a big difference. And I think that's what I've been able to do in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I encourage my teams to think like and talk about like our statement. It's not about five nines. It's what does that mean towards towards making the cash register work and moving our business forward? Yes. Well, I know you've left a great swath of very well-educated and ready leaders behind you, because I know that talent development is something that's always been very near and dear to your heart. So absolutely, thank you for the mentoring work that you continue to do with our CIO Executive Council. And thank you for your time here today. It was absolutely oh. delightful. Thank you very much, Mary Fan. Greatly appreciate it. Yes. Now, if you just joined us at the close of the show and you're thinking, oh, no, I've missed this chance to hear Ken Piddington talking about IT leadership, do not do not fear. We uh, Later today, we will have uh, the full recording of this interview available on CIO.com. And if you joined us late for that, you can watch the episodes there. We also have the full library of CIO Leadership Lives that are there. We've done more than 40 of these interviews now over the last two and a half to three years. And our, my next guest will be on Monday, March 23rd. We'll be back with the CIO and Executive Vice President of Hackensack Meridian Health in New Jersey. And that will be David Rice, who's going to join me here at 11 a.m. Eastern. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is IDG Tech Talk. And please keep coming back to take part and participate in these wonderful in-depth conversations with CIOs like Ken Pennington and many more to come. Thanks so much for joining us today. Take care. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.